Welcome to the Jeffers Brief, only on Contra Radio Network. Hello again, Intelligentsia and Super Intelligentsia. Thanks for joining us on our little money-making scheme in Super Intelligentsia. Thank you. And, you know, haven't done it in a while, so I want to acknowledge, if you will, some of our listeners across the planet. Now, the majority of our listeners do come from the United States. But, prepping is not just an American thing. There's also many people who like to you know, hear what's going on on the political side. Got plenty of shows here on CRN that deal with that. On occasion, I throw in something. Today's not going to be that day. Today's a prepper day. I want to talk to you a couple about a couple things. But before we get to that, for you listeners in the Netherlands and Canada, we got new listeners in Chile. Welcome. More listeners in Mexico. Welcome. In Sweden. In Russia. New, new Zealand's back on the map again. The Czech Republic has joined in. Italy. Germany. France. Australia. Belgium. We got new listeners in Colombia. We're finally making inroads into South America and Central America. Spain. Ireland, new inroads into India, new listeners in Pakistan and Romania. Are there more? I think there are. Let me check. Uh, Puerto Rico, Denmark, Malaysia, Norway, Singapore. Welcome to the Contra Radio Network. Glad you're here. Oh, and some of you... You know, we're still right at that thing where a third of our listening audience are women. Men, two-thirds. But it seems our demographics are interesting. The our most our 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 primary listening age group is between twenty-eight and thirty-four. Followed by the thirty-five to forty-four age group followed by the 45 to 59-year-old age group. And then they got the 23 to 27 age group. And then they got the 60 and over age group. So, yeah, that's pretty much what breaks down Contra Radio Network. Yes, yes, yes. What do I want to talk about first? Perhaps you might have heard about a new type of flashlight called a laser-excited phosphor. It's an LEP. Now these are being offered for sale by Olight. It's called the uh, Odin Turbo Flashlight. Sales began on May 27th. So, you're asking yourself, what is an LEP? Light emitting phosphor, not light-emitting diode. Now, a laser-excited phosphor, LEP, 
is technology taking the flashlight market by storm, creating new capabilities for handheld lights. So, uh, SHTF blog, Derek James, the author, decided to do this. At first, I've heard about it, and I wanted to share it with you. Now, we're going to compare and see what it can do in a handheld tactical flashlight as compared to a traditional LED light. But before we get started with that, what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit, especially you preppers and patriots out there, some of the things you should be thinking about. Now, uh, it is a given. More often than not, not 100%, but more often than not, Preppers and Patriots will have firearms. They will have pistols. Now, the, I'm not going to get into which firearm is the best. You know what? doesn't matter what I think. And it really doesn't matter what you think because when you choose a firearm, you do so based personally on your own comfort level, what you like and don't like about a particular firearm platform. But what I want to talk to you about are retaining devices for your firearm, your pistol. That is a holster. Lots and lots of holsters out there. Now, I'm going to put my opinion out there on why you should choose a particular holster. Again, take it for what it's worth. I don't care. I'm putting it out there. The information is there for you to use as you see fit or not see fit. Now, as many of you know, I was on the sheriff's office for 26 years. I worked the streets, warrants, division, court security division, the jail. Oh, God. But anyways, my point is this. About, I think, I started in law enforcement in 1986, yes. And right about then, there was a move put out for security holsters, for firearms, for law enforcement sidearms. And the reason being is that when police officers would get into a physical altercation, that is you're grappling with someone, you're toe-to-toe -to -toe slugging it out with them, whatever it is. Inevitably, whoever you were fighting would try, well, the first thing that goes in the fight is your badge. They grab that and they, all right, that's the first thing. That's a given. Who cares? You'll get a new uniform shirt, new badge. That's not a big deal. What they were finding is that many of them we're having to uh, learn firearm retention techniques because during the fight, whoever they were uh, fighting with would inev invariably, inevitably grab for that firearm and pull it out of the holster. Now, we know from statistics that if a police officer loses his firearm, chances are very good he's going to be shot and killed with it. So, some of the bigger uh, manufacturers of holsters came up with a security holster. So what's a security holster? <coughs> what it does is this, real simple. It keeps your firearm in your holster. 
helps secure it. Is it 100%? Absolutely not. But I carried one. When I carried, when the very first firearm I carried was a Colt Trooper Mark III, 357 Magnum. That's what I first carried. And Safari Land had come out with their very first security holster. And it was weird looking. And when I first arrived at the uh, Arkansas Law Enforcement Training Academy in Camden, Arkansas, all the instructors came and said, let me see your holster. What is that? And they're looking and all that. And, of course, as time went on and I moved on to different departments, I went to the uh, Lake County Sheriff's Office in Illinois. And I was there, again, I carried a, uh, from there I uh, ended up carrying a Colt Python 357 Magnum. And again, I had a security holster for it. That was before they became really big. After that, we transitioned as a department, as a whole, to semi-automatics. So then, by that time, security holsters were becoming more mainstream in all law enforcement. I can count on my hand at least three times in my career when I was having to grapple with someone, you, you could feel them tugging on, your, on my weapon. Feel it. But it would not release from the holster. Would not. I'm going to say, well, why do I need a security holster? Well, let's I'm, I just explained it to you. And, and for those of you that weren't paying attention, I will say it again. When a grid goes down situation, you're going to have to either, well, actually you should learn firearm retention techniques. There are several different techniques you can use to make sure your firearm is not used against you, is not taken out of the holster and stolen from you. you know, it's bad enough you're in a fight. What you don't need is to introduce a firearm into that fight if you don't need to. And if you need to, you sure so don't want it to be your opponent that gets the firearm. So, grid down situation. Lots of you have uh, maybe seen some of the old military holsters where the flap goes over the, the whole weapon when it's sitting in your holster. Uh, yeah, that's kind of good. But once you get the flap open, that, pull, that, that weapon's coming out. Uh, a lot of times what you don't see anymore are the jackass rigs where the weapon's sitting underneath your arm and it's a cross draw. Bad idea. Because you have to reach across your own body to draw down. Yeah, it looks cool, but that's about all. Bad guy, all he's got to do is reach out and grab and pull. It's coming out. Um, and then you, of course, you have the, again, the cross draw with the butt facing forward on the opposite side. Again. Looks cool, but that's about it. I would not recommend it for a tactical situation under any circumstances. Mainly because if you get a security holster and you're doing a cross draw, guess what? You're not going to have enough room to defeat the restraint on the security holster to pull your own weapon out. Second of all, it's just it, that butt is offering itself to your opponent. Bad idea. They'll grab it and pull, and you're going with it. That's why you don't see very little uh, 
the uh, Sam Brown suicide straps, leather straps. They hook up to the, the your, your Sam Brown belt, your gun belt, and you have the leather strap that comes this way. Because what would happen in fights is people would grab that leather belt, and guess what? You're going with them anywhere they want you to go. There's no escaping it. There's all right. So right there, looks great, not so good tactically. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is. With a security holster, you have to be able to do, um, depending on the restraint and how it works, and there's various types out there. Um, the holsters that we ended up, uh, that I ended up my career with, was the weapon had to be literally pulled straight up, straight up out of there. The problem is, it's like you got a Breda 92F or another weapon with external safety. The problem we found on the firing line is that when the guys would have their Berettas, they put it in the holster with the safety off. But when they went to draw down in clear leather, the safety uh, retention device would inevitably take that safety switch and flip it back on again. So here you go, and you go to shoot. Oh, yeah. Oh, nothing's happening. Well, that's why. I myself never carried a Breda. I carried a SIG 226 and later a SIG Sauer 229. Both in 40 caliber. Uh, no. The first 226 was in 9mm, and then we transitioned to a 40 caliber, and that's when I got uh, the 229. Now, the SIG 2640, which we carried, was a piece of junk. And I mean junk. I actually had one fall apart on me in my hands. It's like, what the hell is this? It was that bad of a weapon. And thankfully, Sig listened and said, we're not, <laughs> no, 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 we're getting rid of these. But, and then we went back. And then it became more or less, you could carry any major firearms brand as long as it was in chambered in forty caliber and was approved by the department. So I went back to, to SIG 229. My personal preference because there are no external safeties on it. A true combat pistol. You come out of the holster, you're ready to go. Time to get down to business. Um, so, as I've told you, I remember many times, uh, three times I could think of offhand where I was having to grapple with someone and inevitably you feel them pulling on that holster and that weapon one, that weapon's not coming out that's a good thing now you may buy a security holster and find it just doesn't fit your needs big deal, put it in storage for later use, you may need it you may not, but at least you'll have one get in one that you like talk to other fellow preppers um, talk to your uh, if you got somebody in law enforcement See what kind of holster they're carrying. Most of them are carrying security level three holsters. Now, there are some holsters where you actually have to push down into the holster, rock the weapon forward, and then come out. Again, different retention devices require different releases, depending on the holster. So, when a grid, sit, grid down situation comes, you need to understand not everybody's going to have a firearm. Many will. If you're going to get into a grappling situation or a physical altercation where it's hand-to-hand, -hand, 
you're using empty hand uh, techniques guaranteed there is always going to be a gun at your fight that's going to be yours if you're a good prepper or patriot you'll always, you'll always be armed so know that there will always be a weapon or a gun present in any altercation you're involved with and it's going to be your own you have a responsibility to yourself and your team members to make sure you can keep your weapon secure and only for your use something to think about another thing i want to talk to you about and um some of you may practice this some of you may not have even heard of this before when you have your security holster put your weapon in your holster put on your belt put your weapon in your new security holster <coughs> excuse me well the allergies are crazy today uh jump up and down one of two things are going to happen one the weapon will stay in the holster also put on jerk on it jerk on it pull on it make sure it doesn't come out until you want it to come out and the second thing that will happen if your security holster doesn't fit it doesn't work your weapon will pop out of the holster and land on the ground that's how you know if it's working or not now for those if you use a revolver or you use a semi-auto pistol couple things you need to practice now how many of you when you're on the range just doing practice when you go to reload how many are looking down going oh yeah I got the magazine uh, oh yeah the guy turned it around they then may find the magazine well put it in there slam it home you need to break yourself of that habit now so when you're on the range and when you're sitting at home on the TV make sure your weapons empty make sure the magazine is empty um, practice this practice reloading without looking down at your weapon because you're reloading you're not gonna reload like this out in front no you're gonna reload down close to your body you cannot keep an eye on the tactical situation if you're looking down to oh yeah I got this and uh, okay I got it and then look up Murphy's law comes into play at that point as soon as you look down Murphy's law anything that could go wrong will go wrong the moment you look down so you need to learn to reload without looking at your weapon You need to be scanning, looking around. No, by touch, feel. Okay, that's the magazine. It's forward. All right, looking around, looking for any external threats coming. By the way, do not shoot your weapon dry. Make sure you have at least one round left in the chamber. Why? Because while you're fiddling around trying to get the magazine or using the speed loaders to load your cylinder again, 
Inevitably, Murphy will, re will reappear. Murphy will appear as a threat coming at you while you're reloading. Because you have to plan for the chance that the bad guy has been counting your shots. And he doesn't know, what one, what kind of weapon you're carrying. So therefore, he's not going to know exactly how many shots you have per magazine. And the question is, do you know how many rounds you have left? you got to remember, this is the hard part about uh, shooting. You have, during the excitement of the fight, you got to keep a mental count of how many rounds you've let go. So, my point is this. Leave one round in that chamber while you're reloading a fresh magazine. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because the weapon will be in battery. So you can put another round, another magazine fresh without stripping another round because the magazine's still in the weapon is still in battery. Bad guy pops out while you're reloading. You have at least one round to take care of the threat. And when you let go, you'll have a fresh magazine in there and it strips off the top, you got your reloaded ready to go, ready to re-engage into action. Tactics, my friends, that's the name of it. So you have to practice, practice knowing what, um, where your weapon is, you're reloading it. Now, I always had my weapons, my, my magazines stacked like this, upside down with the round facing to the outside, the left, because I carried on my left side, left front. So when I went to, so when I had an imp, so when I went to reload, I'd be able to pull out, turn it up right side up. Now the weapon, the bullet's facing forward, and I knew I could just ram it right in home, bang, and go back to work. You need to practice this. You need to practice reloading without looking at your weapon because you have to be cognizant situational awareness of what the hell's going on around you at the time some of you have never heard of this some of you know this so you do not look down from the field of battle your from your sector of operation your area of responsibility you can reload without looking and once you get that then you start going faster and faster and faster and faster. We carry three round, three magazines. These are not clips. These are magazines. If you call them clips, you show just how ignorant you are of firearms. This is called a magazine, not a clip. A clip is something a woman puts in her hair. So, this is what I'm trying to drill to you today. Something for you to think about. Something for you to drill. Now, once you get that down, looking up, now you have to try something new. Let's add something new to the practice schedule. What you're going to do then, you're on the range, you're doing your shooting. You need to be able to reload from behind cover. Do not stand out in the open reloading. You are not Johnny Trickshot artist. You never will be. 
You won't. Most of us don't practice enough to do that. That's not to say there are people out there, competition shooters, who are very fast. And when you watch the competition shooters, watch they're on YouTube. They don't look down reloading. They're all they're scanning and looking for the next target. That's what you need to do. So, in a tactical situation, you need to reload without looking and from behind cover. Whether it's behind a mail, you know, a US mailbox, not not the one in front of your house, but the big one behind a corner of a building, uh, whatever it takes. I don't care if it's a fire hydrant. That gives you some cover, something, anything. Next, you need to learn how to reload. You guys are going to hate me for this. When you're laying down in the prone position. What if your only source of cover is a street curb and you're laying in the street? Not a lot, but it's something. And you have to reload in a prone position. How do you do it? Well, you got, I've got two. Two options for you. One, and this is going to be uncomfortable because you're going to be laying on your magazines. If you do it right, you'll be, your magazines will be loaded to the, on your front. You're going to have to pull a magazine out from under your belly, still trying to, you know, figure out what the hell's going on, keep an eye on what's going on, load behind, you know, keep your weapon behind the curb, load that way, or, or roll on your back, reload, and roll back over and get, and re-engage in the fight. I'm not saying it's the best situation you could be in, but my point is this. You don't always get to choose the best of everything. Granted, if you have to engage in a fight, you want to do so on terms favorable to you. Make sense? You following me? All right. So you are, I'm trying to, I want to make sure I cover it all for you. So I would suggest you find a security holster for your weapon. Take it to the range, use it, break it in. Get an idea on how to use it. How to clear leather when the time comes. Now for one, in a grid down situation, I'm not going to be concerned whether I've got an in the waistband holster or an out of the waistband holster holster. I don't care. I'm not going to care about that at that point. You follow? All right. Now, here's another fun fact. If by some chance you lose control of your weapon, bad guy gets it, you need to learn tactics. One, because I guarantee you, they get that weapon, they're going to shoot you with it. You're going to have to use immediate tactics in terms of getting that weapon back or neutralizing the opponent immediately before they have a chance to actually fire the weapon at you. So you need to learn how to get the weapon back into your possession. 
It ain't going to be easy. Yeah, you may get hurt doing it. It's okay to get hurt. What's not okay is to give up. Don't give up, period. You know, we had a saying, um, because, and, and, and this is, and this is going to be true too. There is always going to be somebody out there who's bigger and badder than you are. And we recognize that as police officers and deputies. So the thing with our thing was this, look, if I'm, if I'm in a fight and I'm getting my ass kicked, my partner better be getting his ass kicked too, because I'll tell you, and believe it or not, I did hear of one incident after I retired where one deputy stood there and did nothing and watched his partner get his ass kicked. Did nothing. Well, I was afraid. We're all afraid. That doesn't mean you don't screw up your courage, man up, cowboy up, and get to work. Because I'll tell you, if I was that guy's partner, oh yeah, as soon as that fight's over, guess what I'm doing? I'm kicking my partner's ass. My point is loyalty, my friends. Training. Tactics. Now, I don't. I believe you could probably still get speed loaders for revolvers. Um, when I first started, they it was six rounds. We had six in the cylinder and 12 on the belt in speed loaders. I believe they still make them. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people still use revolvers. You know, people say, well, they, they, you know, your semi is going to jam. Well, I'm trying to think. Did I ever, I never experienced, I know, I take that back. I had one feed malfunction the entire 26 years I, I used a semi-auto. Did not have a feed malfunction ever with the revolver. Yes, it's old technology, and yes, it's reliable. And that brings me to another point. If you got a semi-auto, you need to learn how to clear a malfunction. Different weapons, the techniques are pretty much the same. You mo the most the the majority of your um, malfunctions in a semi will be a feed malfunction. You might end up with a uh, double feed when two rounds get stripped at the same time because for some there's a hang up somewhere. Chances are it's going to be a uh, spent shell casing that didn't eject properly. And you're going to end up with that. You have to know how to do a phase one and phase two malfunction uh, clearing drill. It's easy. Easy to learn. But you need to know, you need to know how to do that. Now, when you have a malfunction, again, all you need to know is I pulled the trigger and, uh-oh, it didn't shoot. So, what do you do? You better find cover quick and go into a malfunction clearance drill. Do not sit there and go, well, why isn't it working? Well, what the hell? You just took your eyes off the battlefield. Bad idea. 
All you need to know, all you need to know is it didn't work, do your drills. Again, practice without looking. Whether you have to go tap, rack, bang, or you go tap, rack, 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 magazine exchange, bang. Okay? I just gave you the malfunction drills. There you go. That's it. Now, there may come a time where you cannot. Now, believe it or not, um, I did have a, a uh, deputy. And uh, she never practiced much of anything. She wasn't very nice person. Probably was not the best line of work for her to be in. But she was there. And she had, um, at the time I was a union rep, she came to me. She says, hey, Jeffers, there's something wrong with my weapon. I was like, well, I'm not an armorer. What do you want me to do? What she had done was she had inserted her magazine backwards in the magazine well. It got jammed about halfway up there. I could not get the damn magazine out. And, ha and just happened to be at roll call. So I said, stay here. Don't go anywhere. We'll wait till everybody gets out of here, and then we'll, we'll deal with your problem. And one of the guys that just happened to be an armorer, I grab him at roll call. I said, stay here. We've got something that we got we got to deal with. Oh, okay. Everybody leaves, and he can't get the damn magazine out of the well either. We end up having to take her weapon, turn it upside down, and just taking it and just banging the hell out of it on the desktop before the magazine became dislodged. <coughs> Needless to say, her weapons handling skills were less than admirable. And she did she did end up shooting herself in uh, in the uh, abdomen one morning while walking into roll call. Uh, she wasn't killed, but still, it was just um, her overall attitude of not paying attention, not caring, whatever it was. And well, she she was an average shot. Now, the state of Illinois standards for law enforcement is that every year we have to qualify and we have to have 70% or better. That's the state standard. The sheriff's office standard was at one point, our standard was 80%, and then we kicked it up to 85%. And we did that because we wanted to exceed the state standard, and it was the right thing to do. I got mission creep, went off subject, coming back. So this is what we're talking about. So practice these. You have to know these you should know it. You should become very comfortable and familiar with it when you're out there. Load without looking. You should be able, my friends, after an engagement, do not hurry to put your weapon back in the holster. Keep it out. There's no race at this point. If you think you've neutralized the threat, great. Do not rush to put your weapon back in the holster. There's no time here. Keep your weapon out. You don't know if another threat's going to reappear. 
you will eventually have the time to do that. But immediately after a gunfight is not the time. So, my point for this is, when it's time to reholster, reholster without looking. Know where your weapon is. Know how to put it back in your holster without looking. If by some chance you reholster and all of a sudden another threat appears, you can come right back out and re-engage. You follow? Okay. All right. I know. It's a lot. I know. It's a lot of information. And those are the reasons. So. Anyways, I spent more time than I wanted to on it. But that's important. Now getting back to the uh, laser excited phosphor flashlight. What it is, uh, let me get back to it. Uh, what happens is the laser excited phosphor, the LEP, is a process of emitting a blue laser through a focused lens onto a phosphor element backed by a metal substrate. The laser is then reflected or bounced off the phosphor and converted to a broad spectrum light. In a flashlight, the resulting white light is directed out the end of a series of lenses. The technology was developed by uh, uh, Xinhua University, which has a research department devoted to photonics and electronics. The result of this process is an exceptionally tight spotlight with a very long throw distance, you know, the distance of the beam. And it's far more than you can get with a comparable LED flashlight. So are they dangerous? That question gets asked a lot. And it comes from the worry that the actual laser is going to cause damage to the eye. There is no danger from the laser damaging the eye by the fact that it's a laser. But as with any very bright flashlight, you never want to look directly into, the into it or flash anyone's eyes, unless, of course, you have to momentarily blind them for defensive purposes. You should never point the light at any aircraft or moving vehicle, but this is even more true with an LEP light because the throw is so much greater. A beam of LED light aimed at a vehicle at a distance will not have the same blinding effect as a focused LEP light. Likewise, don't point it at mirrors, glass, or other reflective materials or you may find yourself temporarily blinded. Duh, it's a laser. It's light being reflected. Now, the LEP flashlight versus a tactical flashlight. Preppers, shooters, law enforcement... All might be wondering if LAP flashlights have inherent advantages over more traditional tactical flashlights than blanket the market. So let's compare two similar lights to get an idea. I'm comparing the Olight Odin Turbo LEP light with its brother light, the Olight Odin. Um, when it comes to prepper products, I'm a fan of both high quality and reasonable pricing, as we should all be. Now, these two attributes are even are often at odds with one another, but, in my opinion, the Olight does a good job at balancing between quality and price. So, the Olden Turbo, like all Olight products, come well packaged. Packaging may not matter to many, but if you ever want to give a tactical, flash, a tactical light as a gift, the presentation of the product is impressive. On the face of it, you might not see any difference between this light and other tactical lights, though the slightly larger size might stand out to the astute observer, which you should be. Now, speaking of size, the difference is clear when the two lights are set side by side. Um, 
It comes with a uh, USB magnetic charging cable. Uh, when it's fully uh, charged, you get a nice green light at the top, red light when it's charging. It's a nice little feature, that way you know. The cost difference is this. Any LAP flashlight is going to come with a higher price tag, and there's just no way around that. This is in part because its newer technology has not reached the same economy of scale as LED lights, but also because they contain more expensive parts. At, the time, at this time, the Odin Turbo has a manufactured suggested retail price of $249, whereas the Odin has an MRSP of $159. Now, let's do a comparison of specifications. A beam distance. Now, this is in meters. The beam distance for the LEP is 1,050 meters. For a regular Odin LED, it's only 300 meters. Max performance in lumens. Uh, 330 for the LEP. And it's 2,000 for the LED. Charge type, they're both magnetic US cable, USB cable, my mistake. Battery, the turbo LEP has a custom 5,000 milliamp, 3.6 volt. Same for the LED. Runtime, lumens, at runtime minutes, which is level one, you're looking at about 330 lumens at you know 30 minutes, 180 lumens at 150 minutes. So basically, you got different switches. You know, you got, you got the switch, but you got three different settings. But lumens in runtime hours, which is level two, you can get 90 lumens at seven and a half hours. On the LED, you're going to get 300 lumens at about eight hours. Are they waterproof? Well, they come up with a, they uh, they meet the standard of IPX8. Not much difference in ounces. The LEP, the laser, is 7.4 ounces. The LED, the uh, diode, is 6.1 ounces. Lengthwise, uh, the laser is six inches. And the LED is five and a quarter inches. Now, the throw distance is a light's, um, is the distance the beam can travel is on paper and what it is in the field. That's figuratively and literally are two different things. You know that. And this is where the difference between the two lights really starts to shine. And the difference is dramatic, let me tell you. The laser beam in the air itself, giving the impression it's almost like a lightsaber. <laughs> I know, if only. Now, now, if you look, if you use an LED, it's more conventional, and it doesn't, it's not going to throw it as far. So, are LEP flashlight good as weapon lights? Interesting question. Tactical flashlights are often synonymous with weapon lights. Giving the striking difference and how a laser-excited phosphor flashlight throws its light, the distance and shape of the beam, shooters, and those interested in weapon lights for self-defense may be wondering what's better, the laser or the diode. Based on the analysis, the laser flashlights are more specialized lights that 
while they have their place, are not as good for firearms as the more standard diode tactical light. And but it comes with some caveats. As always, a mission is, is hand at hand is what you should drive the choice and tool. So laser flashlights will have their place, but for general use, the diode flashlights are better if you're only going to have one light. But there's more to it than this. So let's look at factors to use uh, these lights when mounted on a firearm and used for shooting. You talk about size factor. We talked about six inches versus five and a quarter inches. I mean, yeah, you could mount it, but you're looking at light space again. Um, your laser is going to give you more of a very tight spotlight effect. The LED at distance is going to give you a bit more of a floodlight effect. Not that they're bad, but um, the LED is going to light up the target better for faster acquisition. Now, if blinding light is your objective, the laser flashlight will have, have be dead set on the assailant's eyes, which will require a more precise targeting of the beam. However, the LED light is going to blind simply by pointing in the general direction. So, you know, should you ask, so the question is, should you buy a light or a laser-emitting phosphor flashlight, an LEP? If you're only going to buy one light as your primary everyday carry tactical flashlight, an LEP is probably not for you. Its very notable beam will limit its application as compared to the more traditional LED light. However, if you are looking to expand an existing collection of flashlights, buying one could expand your options and give you a light throw unlike anything you've seen before. So that's, that's what's new on the market. And I wanted to share that with you. Now, I know we used up a lot of um, information, time today. But it's necessary and needed, my friends. So with that said, let me uh, close out today. For this week, I'm John Jeffers here on the Jeffers Brief. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Unless something really crazy happens. And given today, who the hell knows anymore? Every day's a surprise. Just be prepared, be alert, and be vigilant. That's the best thing you can be for yourself. Have an American day. I'm John Jeffers at the Jeffers Brief on Contra Radio Network. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week.